Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. I'm Hannah. And I'm Tyler. We're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us, a journey into the stories they not only created, but also lived. So join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach. Uh, do the homework for this week's episode? Totally. Yes. <laughs> Definitely prepared to talk about. I have it out in my locker. I need to just <laughs> go get it. Uh, my locker's on the other side of the school. I just uh, in C Hall. Uh, I gotta go down to the 100 Hall down there. Oh, jeez, that's a voyage. Yeah. Um. So I'm just I uh I'll I'm gonna go get it. Right now? Or I can get it to you after class, maybe tomorrow or something. You know what? How about uh, we give you a one-week extension, uh-huh. and uh, we'll we'll talk about something else today. Yeah, that sounds great. Perfect. This is a great class. Yeah, you don't have to do any work for this one, uh, because this is our sci-fi special. Our highly anticipated sci-fi special. Yeah. Are we allowed to say that if it wasn't highly... <laughs> if we were just anticipating it? Hey, no I got... Else. At least two messages asking, hey, when's that thing coming out? <laughs> when that thing going to do? <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's going to be next week. Oh, never mind. The week after. Oh, one more week. Okay, yeah. now it's finally here, people. I mean, we set ourselves up when we're like, oh, it's definitely going to be out first week of May. And then, <laughs> like, life happens. We we said that in January. Like, life is going to continue the way we want it to. It's, it's really good to set goals in January yeah. and then just watch them <laughs> unravel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I am, this is a highly anticipated episode. I am very excited about it, mostly because I had to do very little work. Uh, Not none, not zero work. You did way more work than I meant for you to do. Yeah, because it's me and I have to do work. (laughs) Like, I just can't not do work. So, Uh, but I'm excited to see all the other work that other people did for this episode. Yeah, I mean, it was great. Everyone who like sent a story in was like, oh, or who I was like trying to recruit to write a story. They were like, so do I email it to Tyler? And I'm like, no, do not email it to Tyler. I'm doing this one. And then they're like, stop yelling at me. I just asked a question. And then they emailed it to me. So it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was really hard to watch submissions come in on the email and not open them up and read them immediately. I'd have to be like, ooh, a new email for Lewis and Lovecraft. Nope. Nope. Can't look at that one. It says submission. All right. <laughs> when I when we got to the recording stage, I tried to have people email my personal mm. Gmail so you wouldn't be tempted. And yeah. then I just got lazy toward the end. So. Because cause reading would be harder than me just hitting play and listening real quick. Yeah. Being like, oh, I wonder, uh, you know, what, what voice they did. Or yeah. like, oh, how does this person sound? I haven't heard them before. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So, I mean, I'm really excited about this, too. Um, for me personally, I had not written much, if any, sci-fi before. So... This was a challenge for me too. Yeah. Um, 
And I kind of got that that impression from a lot of the people who submitted stories too. They were like, I've never done sci-fi before, but here we go. Yeah, I, I saw that a lot, especially when I was talking to people about submitting stories. A lot of people were like, oh, I've never done it. So. Yeah, but I mean, we've been talking about a lot of great sci-fi authors lately, and we've yeah. got um, a couple more to come in upcoming episodes. Um, and we've got part two on Isaac Asimov, which I swear we're getting to. We got a very nice email a couple days ago from a listener named Philip who specifically um, said he was eagerly awaiting part two. So mm, yeah. thank you, Philip, for your nice words. And I swear we're going to record that. <laughs> I'm sure he's just wants to hear my take on Isaac's many extramarital affairs. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. Yeah. You know what? I don't care. It's, it's it. I've been reading a lot and holy damn. <laughs> so yeah so we have that to look forward to but for now um let's get into the the sci-fi flash fiction story so the the rules were 500 to 700 words um mm-hmm. kind of like the same limits on our halloween special first up we have rust by laura nettles read by james walton longtime friend of the program and our favorite person to stick a script in front of and say hey will you read this please yeah here we go Her hair was the color of rust, and so was her skin and nails, and the hollowed-out sockets where her eyes should have been. Her body flaked and disintegrated, leaving gouges in her once perfect form. My wife. Our laughter once filled this home before they came, before they targeted us with their transmutations, before humanity fell. I hid her body under the floorboards to shield her from the elements, preserving her for as long as possible. A collection of letters, our memories were stashed with her, collecting her cast-off flakes. She will not be forgotten. Grabbing my rifle, I peeked through the boarded-up first-floor window that once had glass. The patrol should be around soon. With my wife safe, there was nothing left to lose. A siren sounded reverberating through my bones. Mid-sized crafts manned by these beasts hovered as they approached, their headlights flooding the abandoned street that had once been filled with cars and plain kids. The invaders' unknowable occult magic-fueled guns were aimed every which way. The planet was theirs the moment they landed, and they knew it. All that was left was the cleanup. My eye looked down the side of the barrel. Humans would not go down quietly. I took a breath and aimed between my heartbeats. The thump, the thump, bang, the thump. The bullet's aim was true. Purple blood spurted into the air as the tall creature giving slithering orders toppled to the bed of the craft, one down. I cocked the rifle and took aim again, but to my dismay, I took in my last breath the one I took least for granted. I braced myself for the assaulting barrage of mystic mortar and shell. Colors of hot light swirled around me, engulfing me, not harming a single board or glass or shard that did not contain human DNA. My eyes withered, dissolving as liquid was leached from my body. In terror, I looked down to see my skin flaking and transmuting. Elements melted and realigned into different materials. Flakes of my body disintegrated into the air, blowing through the slats in the window to mingle with the nothingness my people had become. Holy damn! 
Holy damn, that was such a good story. I wish people could have seen your face like as soon as the first words started. You were just like so excited. That was such a good story. Oh my God. Like James, the music, the story. That was so... F I gotta readjust. I gotta readjust. <laughs> this is... I didn't realize that we were coming to play like that, Hannah. <laughs> That was, I think, the first submission we got, too, like way back right after we announced it. So as soon as I got that in our inbox, I was like, OK, this is going to work. Yeah. This is going to be a good episode. Who wrote that? Laura Nettles, who I think she's a first time contributor. Yeah. Uh, I didn't recognize that name from either of the Halloween episodes. So, okay. yeah. Um, amazing, amazing story from her. Um, and Laura, for I, real. I kind of like I like how simple it is. Like, it's just, It's just you one know, shot. That's all it is. Yeah. One scene, invaders, you know, aliens, yeah. tried and true, but she has such a unique take on it. It, it starts with with um, a depressing note, and it, and it like, it leaves, it, it builds up hope. Like, just that, that humanistic hope of, like, we're going to make it through. And then it takes it and away. And then it takes it all away, because it's like, no, of course we're not. It's so well done. And James did such a good job. Like, I don't think that there was a more perfect voice for that. No, that was amazing. And I mean, we've worked with James a long time. You way longer than more often than I have. But he does so well, especially at dramatic stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. That it was, was a great fit. Dope AF. Dope has become my new word, by the way. So we're probably going to hear that so much in this episode <laughs> and i don't even care that cameron's giving me nasty faces that's that's dope dude dope <laughs> he is not happy that i'm using but that he one. did put his hands up so yeah he oh don't say af okay i take back the af oh never mind i leave the af in there we're old and uncool. for rust because that was dope af dude <laughs> <laughs> okay so hannah it was is that like did you just lead off with the best one they're all gonna be crap from there oh yeah total shit yeah. after this point yeah. no <laughs> no i'm feeling bad now because mine is not that good yours is good you always say this and then i listen to it and i'm like what the hell tyler <laughs> why are you you just wrote this in 30 minutes and it's so good do we have information on on the story and I'm sorry, her name was what? Laura Nettles. I want to make sure I get it right. Laura, not Lori. Laura. Laura. Do we have info on Laura? No, no backstory uh, included there. Laura. So Laura. If, if you're listening to this, you need to reach out to us so that I can like follow you and tell people to follow you because that was dope AF. <laughs> <laughs> we are so hip. <laughs> Yeah, I'm 30, 32 years old. I'm cool. <laughs> so um, continuing with our, our fabulous stories, um, we've got The Quest up next. And this is written by return contributor and friend of the show, Paul Waterman. Yeah. Um, Paul, for those who don't remember, is the co-owner of The Book Nook, our favorite bookstore, um, and where mm -hmm. this show was born, basically. 100%. Um, he also appeared on our Tim Burton episode, and I think his um, story was in our Hall first Halloween special, and he had a really good one yeah. in there. Um, so yeah, his, his latest story does not disappoint. And Tyler, I forgot to ask you how to pronounce his last name before we started, but it is read by Mason Mosteller. Yes. Yes. Ah, I Mo should have said it. Mosteller. 
Moss Dollar. Yeah. Um, and Mason's he was, listening. He, and I he's know. probably correcting us. And I'm the asshole because he's my friend. I know. I'm so sorry, Mason. But if I mispronounce your name, it just means we're really good friends. So. Yes. <laughs> um, he was on the episode of Correspondence with Tyler um, not too long ago. Is the dungeon master for the show Crit Seekers. Um, and I want to give a huge thank you to Mason because he not only did a fantastic job with this story, but I also recruited him to record another story um, uh-huh. because... You know, deadline was approaching, and I and needed need, another yeah, voice. Yeah, so uh, he he took on the challenge and uh, did a great job. So here is the quest. What the hell are you doing? I gasped. Finn's hand stopped inches from the cave wall. He turned his face towards me, his eyes blazing in the beaming light of my phone. He looked even more crazy than I knew he was. We don't know what the hell that is, I whispered desperately. A few inches from my best friend's hand was something like a mirror, but it moved like oil on water. We could see ourselves reflected in the unworldly smooth surface. Exactly. Isn't it fucking awesome? Finn's smile grew like a kid being presented with a large ice cream cone. He was the type to pick up a snake by the tail and throw it, but this was no snake. At least you knew a snake would try to bite or run. What was before us was something completely unknown. Then he did it, the son of a bitch. He quickly booped it with his index finger. The surface warped slightly inward and bounced back. Ripples from around the edges moved inwards towards the point where his finger made contact. It was the opposite of water rippling out from the center when a pebble is dropped in. Finn let out a quick, huh. Once my heart started beating again, I tried to reason with what I saw. My thoughts bounced between fear, curiosity, and confusion. Finn was still okay. The surface was flexible like a balloon, and the ripples were reversed. What the hell? Okay, Finn, that's enough. Let's get out of here, I said, as I grabbed his arm. He didn't budge. Fuck, man, you don't have to do this. We'll be rich and famous enough just finding this thing. Yeah, right. You know what happens, Finn said, shaking his head. Someone else gets the glory, and even worse, it becomes a secret, and no one ever knows about it. Then they have to make sure we don't talk, right? Fuck that, man. They... what? Oh my god, Finn, this isn't some conspiracy TV show. Let's go before you get hurt, or worse. The determination in my friend's eyes grew wilder, and without a warning, he pushed Finger into the mirror. It flexed for a second, then his finger popped through without a sound. His eyes flew open, along with his mouth. Short, breathy, excited laughs built up from deep within his throat. The ripples started from the edges of the mirror again, stalking towards his partially hidden finger. When the first waves engaged the point of intrusion, Finn's eyes grew impossibly wider. He yanked his finger back, but the mirror held on and only flexed outwards. More ripples emerged quickly along the edges now. I was so engaged with Finn's eyes I had not noticed his whole hand was now in the mirror. His laughter turned into panic whoops, and he worked his arm back and forth. The more he worked to pull his hand, the more excited the ripples became, and the more he was being sucked in, like quicksand. I grabbed Finn's other arm and pulled, but there was no stopping it. The mirror was now at Finn's shoulder. I guess I get to see the other side, he said with a mixture of excitement and hysterical laughter. As the mirror engulfed his right eye, he looked at me with his left. A hollow, oh, escaped him his literal half-open mouth. A few moments later, Finn was gone. I stood there staring. Only a few minutes ago, my best friend was standing right before me. The ripples slowly dissipated, and the mirror became still. What the hell else could one do after witnessing something like that? Now I heard a crackling sound, like ice fracturing on a stream. The edges of the mirror started to turn milky white, and like the ripples, the milkiness worked its way towards the center of the mirror. As the milky color reached about halfway to the center, the edges now turned clear and followed the milkiness until there was nothing. 
Through the clearness of the now transparent mirror, or door, stood two men, clothes recognizable but different. They looked at each other, then at me. I took a step back as they moved forward through where the mirror once was. Light rippled slightly across the invisible plane as they came through. I was now backed against the cave wall. One of the men said something. I heard him speak, but I could not hear his words, my mind just racing and full of images of the last 15 minutes. The first man, wearing a hat, chuckled, and his words registered. It's okay, it's okay, it's a bit of a shock, isn't it? He said as he gave me a once-over and raised an eyebrow to his friend. Y yeah I stammered. Well, my friend, you just opened the third MU gate. We've been waiting a while for this one. The second man. He had a beard. Hat said, Do you know the concept of the multiverse? I stare at Hat for a moment. Is this a prank? Like the show Punked? I'm being punked, that's it. Right. Like in the movies and books, sure, sure. I managed, not that my breath was slowing. No movie special effects here, friend. We have ten MU gates deployed. Yours is the third to be opened. We put up the door and wait for an answer. Only three so far. An answer? I asked. Beard piped up. Yep, the door needs to consume matter from the other side to unlock it. What did you use? A rock? A stick? A rock was thrown at the second door that was opened. I hope it didn't hit someone on the other side, I said sarcastically. Two men looked at each other again and back at me. Hat said, No, no, that can't happen. I meant it when I said the door needed to consume matter from your universe to open. The matter from your universe fuses with the matter from our universe, creating the gateway. That's the key. Wait. Where's Finn? I exclaimed. My subconscious mind made the connection, but consciously I didn't want to. Sorry, I... We don't know anyone named Finn. He... He's my friend. Oh no, said Beard as he scratched the top of his head nervously. No stick then, huh? So very sorry. After all was ironed out, Doorway 3 of the MU was named after Finn. Became known as Finn's Folly. He finally became famous, just not the way he thought he would. Alright, I can't... <clears throat> We can't say damn. I can't, holy, I can't holy damn every single one, but holy damn, that was so good. That was good. That was so good because, like, I don't know. That was. I can see so much more of a story developing from that. Yeah, you want to turn all of these into like novels, right? That that should be a novel. That's like, or maybe a comic book series. Paul is such a good writer. He really is. And sci-fi is his milieu. I like that word. Uh, I like that too. Yeah. Very fancy. It's his French. milieu. And <laughs> like it's it's his passion. He loves sci-fi. So of course he's going to put a thousand percent into this story. Into 600 words. It was really good. It was. Paul, holy damn. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, thank you for letting me talk your wife into talking you into yes. to sending it to us. Paul, seriously, uh, like no joke, and I, I know that you have more stories, and and you and you've written a lot of sci-fi or some sci-fi at least, and I, I just I hope that this could be, like you hearing it, can be like that signal of like, hey man, do it, <laughs> like that's exactly why we do this because we want we want to encourage authors to write and to to get outside of themselves and and to try something. If this is the first time you've written something, 
then you get to try, you know, short little thing. If you've written stuff before, this is a way to get out of your shell. And man, I, I, I want to read more of what Paul has to say, right? Like, I want to read all of it. I want the Paul Waterman sci-fi short story collection. Like, And every single Paul Waterman book needs to be read on Libro.fm <laughs> by Mason. Yes. Because that fit, like his voice fit that story so perfectly. I mean, he already has a lot of practice with his D&D show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's why I love his D&D show. Well, yeah, I heard him on your episode with him, and I was like, oh, he's got a really good voice. Yeah. Like, I wonder if he does any, like, narration. So he quickly, should. Like, he should do way into his more inbox. than what he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did great. Uh, yeah. I could go on. Like, <laughs> I know that we don't want to be here for three hours, but I could go on. Well, leaping off of what you said about, like, the whole point of this is to encourage writers to kind of step outside of their, get outside of their shell and, and share things that they've been working on. Um, our next story comes from someone who, who summed that up nicely in her email. She closed by saying, quote, thanks for this opportunity to doubt myself, have a panic attack, feel immensely proud, and add things to my portfolio. Nice. Yeah, I, th- I think that kind of sums up what we're going for. Um, that's Carly Blackmore, who she also sent us a fantastic flash fiction for our last Halloween special. Yeah, I remember hers. Yeah, um, and I think she's pretty new to writing, if I remember correctly from um, what you said about her story last time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, she did a great job with this one, too. Um, and uh, it's it's an untitled story read by Joy Struby of the Can Be Now podcast. Again, another uh, longtime friend of the program. Mm-hmm. Um, and Joy does a, a great job with it. So here is Carly Blackmore's story. August 21st, 2022. For four generations, the United States government has denied the existence of aliens. The media has been priming us to be at war with these out-of-this-world invaders. Popular movies showcase evil outsiders as humanity's ultimate foe. Suddenly, during the past two years, the government has confirmed UFOs quietly. But why? I've been collecting data and consulting with members of the United Prepper Network. While the rest of the world seems to be distracted by the quote-unquote plague that has spread across the globe, what is the government hiding? What is the plague covering up? I must make contact to find out. August 23rd, 2022. I saw the craft again last night. It was a small egg-shaped contraption. You could barely discern it from the night sky. There was a slight ripple at the edges, and that was the way I could make out it was there. While gathering a small kit to aid in contact, I realized that the brightest lights in my house are my son's jack-o'-lantern flashlights. Shining them while performing a rhythmic dance should show how I come in peace. My neighbors already think I am insane, so they will not suspect a thing. Last year, I solidified this when I tried to hold a neighborhood meeting about what we do if civilization as we know it falls. My icebreaker was giving them garden onion starts as a symbol of peace. I don't think it was successful until last Christmas when they gave me handmade soap. Perhaps an alliance really was formed? August 24th, 2022. The jack-o'-lantern strobe setting is surprisingly strong. My rhythmic rooftop dance was a success. The aircraft hovered closer than ever before. The soft ripple drawing me in, though near enough, I was reluctant to touch. I shall continue my new nightly ritual to earn their trust. August 27th, 
2022. After four nights, contact was achieved. Their ship has some unique technology. It looks as black as onyx in one setting, and in another, you can almost see through it as if nothing is there. The being's eyes are kind. They tower above me by 12 inches. Their skin is like our own, but in different shades, shifting from gray to green to black. The varying sizes of each being led me to believe this was one family unit, totaling eight creatures. They speak English, although more guttural, almost like a frog would. On the new moon, we are meeting again. They told me it was of utmost importance that I get my family and myself prepared for a journey. There is much to discuss. September 25th, 2022. The people must be warned. Last night we met as planned. What they revealed, I'm having trouble even describing. Our planet is so tiny compared to the vastness of space outside of us. There is no time to waste. If one nuke is sent out, all life on this planet will cease. The government is preparing for war, and we do not even realize it. Dear whomever finds this diary, my family and I have been taken to a safe location. Please release the following statement to all available media. We will be attempting to publish this on the message boards, but need a non-digital failsafe. Attention peoples of Earth. We are not alone in the universe. The world governments have constructed a cover-up about the existence of aliens, thinking they can manipulate popular opinion about life outside of our planet. By holding a smear campaign since the 1940s with the invention of the atom bomb. The extraterrestrials are not our enemy. They have been trying to protect us from what nuclear war can do to our planet since the Roswell incident. The government has since been attempting war with these beings to protect their bombs, not their people. If we don't stop our governments, we'll be destroyed by conflict before year's end 2022. We can stop this now. It's not too late. We are orchestrating a mass evacuation in October before this atrocity occurs. Stand by for date and location. Please join us. It can be different. We can be different. And that, my friends... <laughs> Is the truth of the government. Huh? That's my Byron Scabies impression. Perfect. From nice Radio little Midnight. cross over there. Yeah. Um, what I love best, and I love a lot about this story, <laughs> what I love best <laughs> is that I'm still not sure if the narrator's crazy or not. Right. I feel strongly that they are, but I'm not they, sure. They, the writer, Carly, gives the understands that this is going to sound nuts, so kind of leans into like this might just be the ramblings of some insane person. Also very topical. Like insanely, yeah, insanely topical with everything that's going on in the world. And like, like if you've ever seen the movie, uh, the fourth kind, um, that like, this has the same feel of that in that it's like, this could be real though. It could be. You know? What are they using the plague to hide? Right. I also like the uh, the topical suburban details, like oh, I gave my neighbors onion starch onion and starch, they gave yeah. me handmade soap. Yeah, I think it's it. It was a lot of story for such a short story. Mm-hmm. Like she did such a good job of of cutting it in and making it like okay, this is another this is another time and date. This is another time and date, and leaning into that so that she can tell more of a story. This this huge arch. arch yeah, of I a story. I really liked the um, like diary format. Yeah. Um, 
just yeah. because it's something different. So it kind of like breaks up the the types of stories that we've got. Um, and also, I think it worked really well for that because you could totally see someone either Doing scribbling in their their diary or writing on their blog or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, it worked really well for that that story. That I might have to steal that and put it into the other show that I do on my brother's show called Radio Midnight, <laughs> where Byron Scabies really is, well. is like all about conspiracies. And he doesn't know that it's fake. Like, he thinks it's a real podcast diary or something. Like, I, I think I might play with that. I, I'll have to reach out to Carly <laughs> and see if she's okay with me republishing that short story. That would be awesome. Syndicating it, as yeah, they say. Yeah, for zero money. <laughs> <laughs> but the sticker that I've promised to send our contributors. Right. You got a lot of work. Where's my sticker? I know, right? Uh, wait, you already have like a hundred. <laughs> I have a hundred of them. Calm down. <laughs> I give them out, man. So next up is a first-time contributor, um, Michael Wilson, who said this is his second ever sci-fi story, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I love to see people kind of branching out. Um, uh, it is read by Delina Garcia, a.k.a. Tyler's mom. That's my mom. Uh, and I, I think you mixed it for her, right? Yeah. Yeah. So great job. I, I love oh, what you did you. with it. This is Simulating Reality. Jordan, a 30-year-old bachelor moonlighting as a pandemic good vibes and yogi social media guru, was drowning in messages about the simulation. Does anything matter if we're all bits? Someone asked him. Jordan meditated before responding. Gripping with the fact that he was a programmed sprite, Jordan went outside to get some simulated air. Whatever air was, it was still key to his survival. The world's finest physicists had discovered that the world was a simulation. Neil deGrasse Tyson, a former denier of the simulation theory, took to TikTok, denouncing our sovereign existence as nothing but an Oregon Trail reboot. We're all just data, and that's all there is, he exclaimed. Atoms might as well be tiny pixels. Each one of us are just damn sprites. Tyson suggested sprites replace the word humans as it was more fitting. The news reported that spiritual leaders all over the world denounced their faith. Cryptocurrencies tripled in value and crime ran rampant. The purpose everyone was looking for no longer existed. Jordan stepped outside and stared at the old oak tree. He used to think we were energized by nature that our relationship with trees, birds, and water, and each other, was the source of a recycling energy source. Now he wondered how much wattage it took to run the world. He thought about how old the world was. Was the Earth really billions of years old? Or were humans programmed to think so? Was there any moment he actually lived, or was memory uploaded data up to this moment that he couldn't say for sure he was truly processing. Was any thought he ever had original? Mankind had begun to make artificial intelligence capable of independent thought only a few years prior. The achievement of a simulated world was around the corner. Scientists had hopes that such discoveries would change the world for the better. Jordan, staring at the leaves of a tree blowing in the wind, broke from his thought and walked back to his apartment. He laughed at the very possible idea that his apartment was loading as he returned home. 
More messages came in. Many of Jordan's followers looked to him for answers. He decided it would be easiest to go live. Hopefully, he would find the words to coddle their aching hearts. But what could he say? He was as conflicted as everyone else. Jordan went live for 30 minutes. He opened up with a 10-minute meditation. A few people joined him. A few others spammed crying face emojis in the chat. Jordan lectured for the following 20 minutes. He admitted that he was shaken by the discovery, but he accepted that he was programmed to provide other sprites with a sense of peace and balance. He suggested everyone accept that they were programs and that life finally had a purpose to play an essential role in the overall plotline of the simulation. That even the collective despair and confusion was concocted by the overseers of the simulation. Jordan ended by saying, your programming is your purpose. Namaste. Day turned to night. Jordan was still thinking about the new discovery. Jordan thought about his own body, how the autonomous functions like blood flow and breathing finally made sense to him how the nervous system was just the relaying of data from one part of his sprite to another part. Jordan tucked himself into bed, wishing it was all a dream, begrudgingly accepting his new reality. The night sky flickered and shut like a closing eyelid. A deep pondering voice said, They seem so real. A gentle voice replied, and they thought they were. And to think they were only a day away from emulating our experiment. The deep voice responded. You mean a world within a world? The gentle voice shot back. A simulation within a simulation. Time to stop vibing to that music, Tyler. Bruh, we're all just we're all just simulations within pixel sprites, bro. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't think yogis say bro, do they? That's kind of bro, non-inclusive. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a guru yogi, bro. <laughs> a guru yogi. <laughs> <laughs> That's a mind fuck of a story. It Am is. I right? It is. Yeah. Um. I liked the little detail at the end of like the sky blinked or whatever. Yeah. That was very well done. Because they, they turned off the simulation. They turned off the simulation. It's done like that. It's kind of sad. It is. But I think he, he takes a tone to it that, you know, it would be easy to go the sad route, the depressed, like existential thing. But his narrator is a lot more interesting in that he's just like, oh, I'm not really sure what to do about this. Just gonna keep doing me, I guess. That was highly existential and very depressing, though. I didn't find it as depressing as you did. I guess Jordan's work worked on you then. <laughs> it did. I was like, oh. Just well. accept death and meaninglessness of everything. It's not death. They turned off the simulation. They're all dead. They weren't real to begin with. Oh, does that mean we're not real? Oh my gosh. The simulation theory is like way above my head, though. Um, my boyfriend tried to explain it to me once, and I was like, "Okay." It, simulation theory is just—it's uh, just a shortcut for people to be like, "I don't know what's out there, but I don't want to admit that Christians are right." So, 
<laughs> That's all it is. Or they can't admit it's that just nothing's out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't. It's for it's for people who want to be atheists, but they're agnostic at best. <laughs> agnostic at best. I like that. <laughs> I want to be atheist when I'm agnostic at best, so I believe in simulation theory. Yeah, whenever I hear that, I'm just over here like, but why? <laughs> it it encompasses everything, right? Just like just like God does, everything. <laughs> everything. It's it's an easy, explainable way to ex- uh, explain everything. An explainable way to explain everything. I like that. I have a lot of feelings on this simulation theory, apparently. <laughs> Tyler has been launched into an existential crisis. I'm just yeah. like, yeah. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for writing a story that keeps me up at night. Because as soon as I go to sleep, they're going to turn off the simulation. I'm dead. That's what good sci-fi does. Yeah. It keeps and that was good sci-fi. Let's talk about how good that was real quick. Because we've gotten off track on my opinions about <laughs> On your feelings about life. too and- much. Wait, that sounds just like our regular show. <laughs> we stop talking about the writers and start talking about my opinions. Uh, I liked that story a lot because it was filled with, with existential dread. And I thought it was a really well done. Like, I, I, I'm not going to say I didn't see the end coming. I kind of felt like, oh, okay, I, I get what, what what's happening. I don't necessarily feel like there was like a twist in it. It felt like it was like just presented. Yeah. In a very specific way. Not how, every story needs you, a twist, though. How did you feel about it? I really liked it. Um, and to think that that's only his second sci-fi story yeah. um, inspires a lot of confidence and, like, anticipation for what, for what he's comes gonna next. Like, yeah, that's really sure. cool. Yeah. Um, he didn't mention what his, like, normal genre is. Um, but, yeah, I definitely want to see more from Michael. What, yeah. What's his full name? Michael Wilson. Michael Wilson. Yeah. Wilson. Wilson. <laughs> Of also, crises. let's talk about my mom. She did so good. She did a really good job. She read that probably four different times with four different attitudes. Oh, she really? Wanted to get it like perfect. Yeah. Oh. So she put a lot of work into that, and uh, and I took the best from from each of her takes and threw them all together to create that one. Um, and so yeah, just props to her for coming into the studio and getting that done. Yeah, I mean, she, from what she did on our Halloween episode, um, she's really good at, at voicing stuff. Um, I was originally like gonna try to have a dude do that one, but then I was like, why? It's like third person narration, yeah. like, and it worked really well having her as like the omniscient narrator. It was like uh, we just recently did our episode where I read Clara and the Sun, mm-hmm. and it was really it sounded a lot like that audiobook the way that she read this one oh, um, okay. so i felt like she's she's done a really good job of being able to find a tone and, and get it yeah so i i just i really appreciated her coming in to do that. i did too thank you so much to lena for yeah thanks for to lena thanks mom. tyler's mom <laughs> Um, so our next story comes from return contributor Steve Kane, um, and he just released his fifth book, a collection of poetry and short stories called Leave a Message. Um, I think he released that like last month or something. Um, so congrats, Steve, and thanks for submitting this story. Yeah, Steve mother flipping Kane. I know, been around right? Since the beginning of our flash fiction. He's amazing. He is fantastic. <laughs> I'm probably... I'm I'm such a huge fan of Steve Kane. Go find his books. I don't even I haven't even heard the story. We'll now, have, I know it's um, gonna be amazing. I I'll put a link to his website in our show notes. Um. Yeah. So yeah, definitely go check out his other work. And I just love how nice he is because like every time yeah. he sends a story, he's like, "Thanks for the opportunity," and I'm like, "Thank you." <laughs> 
for gracing <laughs> us with your presence, Steve. Yeah. So um, his story is called Keystone and is read and mixed by our producer, Cam. Cam, pull it up. The triumvirate sat at their long oval table in the boardroom. Behind a two-way mirror in the adjacent room sat a man in his mid-forties. He was medium build with short brown thinning hair and a thick mustache and beard, which were showing flecks of gray. He wore a hearty smile upon his face as his fingers tapped the electronic device held in his hands. The first of the triumvirate stood, placed his mechanical arms behind his back and spoke as he looked through the mirror. TB2, name in history. TB2 glanced at his colleagues and began. Subject is Donnie Stinson, aka Donald Stinson, 44 years of age. He stands 1.8 meters tall and weighs 88.9 kilograms. He was born in Charleston, South Carolina to James Stinson and Helena Martin Stinson. Stinson graduated high school and became a professional baseball player. There was an audible groan from the other two at the mention of a sport. Continue, ordered the first of the triumvirate. Stinson played in what they call the minor leagues for a team known as the New York Yankees. His last team was located here in Scranton. He has worked the field since then. Very good, TV2. TV3. Social media report. TV3's robotic voice filled the chamber. Donnie Stinson has both chatbox and Instafix profiles. On chatbox, he primarily posts pictures of dogs wearing human clothing and videos of cats. And he plays a game called Berry Blast. He has 413 friends, none of whom regularly interacts with him. The only private messages he has received have been from women attempting to offer him services. He has not replied to any of these messages. That is all? Asked TV1. Those are the highlights. It is blank. TV1 turned his attention away from the mirror, where the man in the other room played his game and smiled. My report is on his medical status. He is in fine health. All vitals are on target. He has an athlete's physique, so manual labor should not be an issue. We attempted an MRI, but found nothing. The room was silent following this remark. Finally, TV2 spoke. Nothing? How is that possible? It was an attempt at humor, TV1 announced. The room was silent for another moment, then filled with three mechanical laughs. Breaking off the laughter, TV1 continued. All neurological functions and aptitude tests were adequate. He is sufficiently bright enough to handle routine tasks such as sweeping, mopping, and filling our lubrication machines. He is properly barcoded on the nape of his neck and microchipped under his left thumb. He is the ideal candidate. TV3 spoke next. We are agreed then that Donnie Stinson, aka Donald Stinson, will be hired on here at New Order Industries to do menial janitorial tasks that are not worthy of our robotic fleet. He will be given full badge access. The triumvirate nodded their assent and gave each other a mechanical thumbs up. In the adjoining room, Donnie Stinson looked up from his game for the first time. He was still smiling, at least on the outside. He did not know it, but his world was about to change. He was not who he thought he was. Donnie Stinson, aka Donald Stinson, had existed only for the last 16 years. His true name was Nick Ford. He was the great, great, great grandson of Henry Ford on his mother's side of the family. 
and Nikola Tesla on his father's side. The families, along with their prominent citizens, had been clandestinely working to establish a new world order. And they had succeeded. All too well. The machines used to take over had now taken over air, land, sea, and space. Nick had been part of the resistance. Read to be an insurance policy, he had mechanical, electrical, and coding skills that had all been part of his training. Sixteen years ago, Nick Ford was erased. He was dormant. But the seed had been planted. Once on the inside, he would be activated, and he would remember. At just the right time, Nick Ford was the keystone. The New World Order was coming to an end, and the Triumvirate would never know what hit them. Holy damn! Do you know what hit you? Holy damn! First of all, let's just get this out of the way, just because I, I want to talk about the story. Cameron did such a good job! Yes! Dude, Cameron! Golf clap! Oh, I real clapped. Oh, you can real clap. Golf clap. <laughs> Dumbledore clap. Oh. <laughs> Double Dumbledore clap. Uh, super good job on, like, making it sound all yeah. weird and shit with the voice. Uh, well done, man. Seriously. Yeah. He's, he's so happy right now. I've never seen him <laughs> he, more he happy shrugged. right now. <laughs> I think he sent it to me and he was like, tell me if it sucks and I'll re-record it or yeah. something. And I'm like, it doesn't suck. <laughs> no. What? Very well done, man. Um, but let's talk about the story. Let's talk about this insane story. <laughs> Where's the rest of the book, Steve? Every time. Where's the rest of the goddamn story, Steven? <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> Uh, short stories are his forte, though. Like, that's what he him, does. We need to have him on our show. We need we to do. just get him on correspondence. Well, okay, you have to, like, tone it down a little bit. You can't just be yelling at him, where's the rest of the where's story? Where's the rest of the story, Steve? Welcome to correspondence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for real, though, that's insane, dude. Like, I, I love the whole... Because at first, I'm just like, okay, the twist is that the machines have taken over. Mm-hmm. Right? And, it's, and we got... We got machines making humans that are, like, doing the slave labor stuff that we're doing to machines right now. Nah. Nah. That's just, that's just the little jab. It's so much it's more the little detailed. jab he's got going while he's winding up his right hook. <laughs> fucking Terminator style. Like Nick Ford's about to on some triumvirate ass. Some, some Tesla-Henry Ford combination. <laughs> Insane. I'm just picturing a really cool car now. Tesla and, and Henry Ford combined. It'd be called the Nick. inspired yeah that was so well written uh and genuinely i'm not even like playing it up i would read that story it would be such a fun story to to follow it's almost like um uh scanner darkly like the the whole subversion thing and and kind of laying laying in the grass and waiting sort of situation i i really enjoyed that yeah, he also did a great job of like writing robot narration, yeah, which is hard to do, um, and making it funny. Yeah, like that little MRI joke. It's like <laughs> that was an attempt at humor. Yeah, ha ha ha. Or like the the like, and then they all thumbs up to each other. Like <laughs> what? <laughs> Steve, well done, man. Again, thanks for making me feel inferior in every way possible. Aww. I appreciate that. Fucking Frank Herbert replicant. (laughs) Son of a bitch. That's a pretty damn good compliment. Yeah. (laughs) 
I was trying to, oh, uh, I was going to call him uh, Lorna McDougal's husband replicate. Oh, okay. Yeah. No. Nah. But then I forgot Lorna's uh, name for a second. Shame on me. Yeah. I forget it every day. <laughs> and I feel like Steve has put in more than 30 days of work into his writing. So. Oh, for sure. Although he does seem to churn out stories at an alarmingly fast rate. So I do resent him a little bit for that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that one a little bit. Yeah. Steve, you're our favorite person to hate. <laughs> It's a long list, but you're at the top. Steve, we need your permission to make a t-shirt with your face. I'm not going to tell you what we're going to do with it. We just need the rights to your face. We just need the rights to your face. Maybe we should contact his mom for that, actually. He doesn't own the rights. No, she's the one that made it. Yeah. Um, So up next is a story from boyfriend of the podcast, Talon Paul. Oh, you got Um, my boyfriend to come on. (laughs) Yes, your boyfriend. (laughs) Um, so as uh, listeners may remember, I talked him into submitting a story for our last Halloween episode when we'd been dating for all of like three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and he delivered. Yeah. Uh, he's. It I was mean, an important part of your relationship. Really. It, if it he was. hadn't done it, you would have broken up with him. No, I, I casually just said, hey, we're doing this yeah. podcast like flash fiction episode. And he's like, oh, I'll submit a story. And I'm like, you write. He didn't know that if he didn't do it, you would have broken up with him. It was... It was one of those tests. It was a test. Yeah, the 90-day write a story for me challenge. This is really reinforcing his belief that everything I say has multiple <laughs> layers to it, and I don't appreciate that. I think the talent has listened to me enough to know that everything I say is bullshit. <laughs> Hopefully that's what he takes away from this. But yeah, so he did a great job last time. Uh, I personally, I'm biased, but I think he should do more writing. Um but, uh, just based off the last one, I'm excited for this one. I think he also should do more writing. Yeah, he he came up with an idea, and then like he was he's like you in that he told me all of this backstory for this flash fiction mm-hmm. that's not in it at all. And I'm like, <laughs> why don't you turn this into a novel? And he's like, Nah, I'm never gonna do that. You know what's sad is with my story, <laughs> I did the exact same thing. So whatever. <laughs> so here is When at War, read by friend of the program Ali Fitzgerald, and we'll talk about Ali more later. Oh yeah, dope. Kina sits at the head of a small canoe, listening to birds greet her as she floats down a winding river. She places her hand in the water, wishing she could feel the cold current pushing against her fingertips. Jefferson, Kina calls out. Ma'am, Jefferson says attentively. How much farther? Three clicks, ma'am, eastbound. Kina pulls her hand out of the water and watches the toxic liquid drip off her glove. Slow it down, we will go on foot from here. Kina orders. She is the first off the canoe and scans the tree line as a predator should. The rest of the men anchor the canoe and ready their weapons. A-frame, Kina says as she paces the dense bush. The squad walks in a triangular formation, like migrating birds with Kina leading. The squad treks for miles through the dense woods, passing through remnants of an old city. Skyscraper frames remain standing with the assistance of tree roots. Concrete is cracked and split, revealing weeds and flowers. Status? Kina questions through comms. Jefferson, hearing Kina clearly through his helmet at the rear of the squad, replies, Radius of transmission is 90 meters due 30 degrees south of east. Copy. Find a point of interest. Break Trinity. Kina orders. The squad breaks off in a group of three, searching the old memory of a city. Possible entrance on my point, ma'am. A soldier transmits. The squad regroups outside an aging bunker. Kina approaches the building and wipes caked dust off the grandiose metallic door. A-0674, she reads. Archaic, she thinks to herself. Kina takes a moment, scanning the exterior of the building 
with her HUD display. Breach, she orders. Three soldiers remove rucksacks magnetically attached to the back of their suits and take out three small metallic devices. The squad backs away from the door and lines up in an orderly fashion against the wall. Two soldiers stick the devices on the center of the door, leaving a loud ring like a bell, then fall in line. The devices glow blindly hot and melt into the metal door, creating a red radial hue. The third soldier steps out of line and throws his device towards the center of a red hot glow, creating a violent explosion inward upon contact. The squad rushes in, unfazed by the piercing shockwave, and clears the room. Inside is dark, wet, and quiet. Reminds me of home, a soldier comments, relaxing. We need to be in and out. Kina says sternly. The squad moves through the corridors, clearing individual rooms. The place is a mess. Papers, muck, and mold are prominent. Assets located, Adams claims. Kina approaches the storage room, ransacked, except three shiny chrome cylinders left undisturbed. Good work, Adams. Load it up and move out, Kina says. Adams collects the cylinders, placing them in his backpack. The entire squad snaps their heads towards the sound of a bird-like chirp. Then another echoes from the same direction, farther down the breathing hallway. The squad retraces their path. They clear each room again, leaving no place for mistakes. Kina is the first to enter each room. Her rifle never leaves her line of sight. Seven more, she thinks to herself. A deafening deep exhale is heard before she enters the next room, sounding like a bull seeing red. Switch to high velocity rounds, she orders. With a small switch, Kina's rifle begins to vibrate, producing an electric high-pitched charge. She rushes the room, sweeping from corner to corner. She sees two hideous creatures, thin and sickly, standing nearly 10 feet, with long humanoid limbs and protruding bones stretching out of their skulls. Kina does not hesitate. Upon pulling the trigger, her rifle releases an intense burst of rounds that rip through the creature's heads and torsos. They are dead before they hit the ground. Kina, ruthless as she is, is petrified at the sight of the remains. A little girl stands on the other end of the room, stained with blood. She appears six or seven, with pale silk-like skin and completely hairless. What the? Adams transmits while staring at Kina through the doorway. My God, another soldier says. She's human? Jefferson questions. Adams, take point, Kina orders. But Adams attempts before Kina cuts him off with a piercing glare. Ma'am, he says before departing. A deeper chirp comes from the hallway. Kina kneels, holding her hand out to the girl. We have to leave. Kina says as soothing as she can. Another chirp echoes, then another. The girl hardly reacts to Kina. Soon the hallway echoes with hundreds of bird-like calls. Ma'am, a soldier demands. Kina continues to hold out her hands, getting closer to the girl. Ma'am, we have to go, leave the girl. The girl, staring blankly, raises her hand and places it into Kina's. Relieved. Kina wishes she could feel the girl's fingertips pressing against hers. Blinks don't have sound, Tyler. 
Okay, here's the thing though. Is is everybody in this entire fucking episode just like amazing or Yeah, I mean, as the person dating him, I'm very annoyed every time he shows me writing that's way better than mine. He That was so good. That was so good. Talent. Dude. <laughs> Look, man, I know we've met, like, once. I don't care what you got going on in your life. You got to write this fucking book. <laughs> you, your abil- the ability that, that he showed was was the ability to create anticipation, right? With, with the she wants something. She wants that child to come with her. But there's an existential dread that's coming down, right? That the creature is coming towards her. And then, and then on top of that, an expectation that she's she's got to make the choice whether they're gonna stay or leave. And it was so well written. Like that is something taken from a movie or a story that is high caliber storytelling. To go from uh, a simple scene of them going in a door to killing people, and that's like the least exciting part is that she murdered these creatures, and it's just her trying to get a kid to come with her is the most intense part of that story it was it was amazing so, hold, on, hold on one second <laughs> talon more like talented huh you think i haven't made that that joke in like the 10 months we've been dating <laughs> <laughs> You're so talented, Talon, Ted, Ted. <laughs> I met your mother. Uh, um, so that story that. originally had a different ending. I can't really, I I don't remember what exactly it was. Um, but I was like, bro, this is this is too long. You you know the word limit. Yeah. Cut it down. And then he turned around and ended it on the um, Kina wishes she could feel her hand yeah. in hers, which is totally a parallel of like the second sentence or whatever when she reaches into the river yeah and i was just like okay fuck you for making such for a being, perfect doing like a ending. Callback, bullshit. oh my gosh yeah it's insane um so whatever the backstory is write it write it i i know get it written that's my goal in life force him to write an entire novel you start with the flash fiction just a short story man even with that with a short <laughs> story would be a good way to get started i i would genuinely be excited to read that mm-hmm. um and then of course uh we gotta thank our amazing narrator Allie. um so Allie's from the best friends playbook podcast uh she's been on our show we've been on her show mm-hmm. uh, and she's also part of the cast of fables of refuge yeah, on you youtube can't, you can't not mention fables yeah one of your absolute favorite They've D&D shows <laughs> staying staying alive during the pandemic has been not an easy thing to do with podcasts but they have kept it alive and they're back to recording in person now i think right mm-hmm. yeah so exciting um developments from them go check them out we'll have links to all of their their stuff in the show notes um ali contributed a story too so you'll hear from more from her later on um but for now it's time for me to bear my soul and and share my first possibly sci-fi story um called the others read by Jess Ayers, who is also from the cast of Fables of Refuge. I can't believe we got Jess Ayers. I'm so excited. My mother sends me out to forage for food on the day the others come. Of course, I don't know they are marching our way, 
an invading army coming to take what little we've been left with. I just kiss my mother on her bony forehead, then do the same for Auntie, who sleeps feverishly on the floor. And then I leave, scrambling up a ladder and squinting as I emerge into the bright, quiet morning. Auntie is dying. Mother knows it. I know it, even though they tried to hide it from me. And the rest of the family knows it. That's why they left us here when they set out for new territory, searching for more food and water. Auntie was too weak to move by the time they made the decision. But Mother won't leave her, so we are waiting until the end. I run barefoot over a wide trail, trying to land on the soft grass that has broken through end places. A bird, startled, hops out of my way using only its middle leg, then resumes pecking at the dirt. In the brush beside the path, a large rabbit watches me with a single eye set in the center of its face. I stop. We stare at each other for an immeasurable moment, neither of us blinking. Rabbit's nose bobs up and down nervously. I shift my balance onto my front foot. Before the rabbit knows what's happening, I'm on top of it, a blur of motion. I snap its neck and deposit the carcass in my backpack in a single fluid movement. I veer farther off the trail into the tall, magnificent trees. I don't stop until I reach a narrow branch of the river lined with blackberry bushes. Birds have picked the highest brambles clean, but I can't reach that far anyway. So I fill my pack with all that I can get, scratching my arms repeatedly on the cruel thorns. When the briars are empty, I give up, closing my not even half full pouch. I squat at the edge of the water, placing my hands in its cool stream and forming a cup. I raise it to my cracked lips and gulp deeply. The rest of the family can't drink from the river without getting sick, but the water has never hurt me. Grandma used to say it's because I was born out here, and when you're born in hell, the flames can't burn you. Grandma said a lot of things when she was still alive, all of them angry, vengeful. As she got older, her appearance warped to match the rage and pain inside. By the time she died, her skin was stretched tight over her bones. What remained of her hair hung in mats. Dark purple bruised the bald spots on her skull as hard lumps started to push out, interrupting the circular form. The same transformation has happened to everyone. Everyone except me. The afternoon sun is hot and oppressive when I return home. My backpack heavy, but not heavy enough to feed us for long. Nearing the bunker, I hear a boom, then a sound like rocks falling. Mother. Auntie. I drop the bag and sprint until I reach the ladder at the back of the bunker. I drop down rung by rung, landing roughly on my hands and knees, just in time to see Mother help Auntie up and yank her in my direction. Just in time to hear a click, followed by a high-pitched whirring. Just in time to see an invisible force tear Mother and Auntie apart. Parts of their heads, arms, and torsos are ripped from the rest of their bodies. They are suspended for a moment then drop heavily to the ground. I feel something warm and sticky splash onto me and stare down at myself. Blood. So. Much. Blood. Vaguely, I'm aware people are speaking. A man and a woman. But all I can feel is harsh, violent rage bubbling up inside of me. We have to leave. The woman says gently, kneeling and holding a gloved hand out to me. Is she from the colony? I wonder. 
I hope so. I want her to take me there. I stare at my mother's mutilated body before looking back at the woman and putting my hand in hers. I want revenge. Wait, hold up! Wait, hold up! Hold up, though! Is that the other side of the freaking story that Talon wrote? Oh, I loved seeing you, like, get there at the very end. Your face was priceless. Hold up! <laughs> That's some Marvel MCU bullshit! What the fuck? <laughs> That's insane! That was all his idea. He was... Uh, so, yeah. This is what happens. I have like an idea, which is, hey, contribute a story. And he's like, okay, but wait, what if we tell, or we do like a combined story? And I'm like, okay, I'll hear you out on this. So yeah, that was basically all of his doing. And I'm like, okay, you gotta get me your story and then I'll write either a follow-up or another version. And so that's what we ended up with. I don't think I have felt this elated in so long. Like, that is genuinely one of the coolest things I've ever experienced. Like, I'm just listening to your story, and it was it was right when it was, like, when you're talking about, like, the water or whatever in the hands. And then I'm like, uh, okay, Talon did that just a few <laughs> seconds ago. It seems kind of weird that you're also doing that. And then, and then like, the, and then the, the blowing people up, and I'm like, he blew people up in there, and then the, like the whirling and the sound, and then the hand, and then like, what? And I'm just like, <laughs> what? Haha, <laughs> 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 what is the uh, the effect I, I strive for in all of my stories? <laughs> I, l listeners, I'm not even joking a little bit. Like I'm, I'm not playing this up. I had no idea that this was happening. I I had never heard it. They didn't tell me anything about their stories. I had zero idea that this was happening. Frankly, I'm glad you got it because I was like, I wonder if it's going to be like obvious enough, but not like overbearingly like in your face obvious. No, I think it was just exactly perfectly the right amount. That was hey. so fucking awesome. Teamwork makes the dream work. Best couple ever. Couple goals. <laughs> I got to I got to tell Beck at it. Step it up. We need to we need to write a book. Yeah, together. she's gotta have a story on the next podcast now. Yeah, I don't know if she's I don't know if she'd be down to write horror. She might do fantasy. And so I guess we could do it for next year's sci-fi fantasy. We're coming for you guys. That's happening now. <laughs> We're just gonna be like a couple author teams. Yeah. Dream teams. <laughs> That's gonna be the theme of the you have to team up with somebody else. Oh. I like that. We can't keep like <laughs> planning new episodes. We do this every time. Okay. Uh, and also, quick shout out to Jess, um, who is an amazing voice actor oh for that. Oh my God. She did such a great job. Oh my God. From the first words she spoke, I was hooked. Because her voice is like that of angels coming down to serenade us with God's gift. <laughs> She's really good. <laughs> she is really good. Um, yeah, and I mean, if you listen to our last Halloween special, um, Tyler recruited her and the rest of the Fables cast, um, and they all did an amazing job. They're a super talented group of people. Um, so definitely check them out on YouTube. All that info is going to be in the show notes again. Um, we've got their Instagram handles. Um, and then 
Uh, Jarrett Sullivan, the Dapper DM himself, is mm. reading our next story. Oh, yeah? Which comes from Brianna Fenty. Ooh, two people I love very much. Yes. Brianna is an incredible writer with 12 published short stories to her name and a forthcoming novel that I am stoked to read. Uh, I don't know if there's an exact date yet, but it's sometime soon-ish. Yeah, so, we're definitely um, going to have her on the show. If, if obviously, if she'll agree. If, Whether she agrees or not, we're going to get her on the we're show. We're going to get her on the show. <laughs> yeah, we, we tell people they're coming yeah. on. We hey, don't invite them do on. Do you know who I am? You don't say no to me. Oh, yeah. And uh, just to, like, increase my girl crush even more, uh, Brianna is also a talented artist and a marine ecologist by day. Yeah. So, basically, she's just way cooler than I'll ever be, and her hair is amazing, too. She's basically the lady version of Captain America who writes horror books. Yes. And she scares and the, the shit out of me. The shit that she writes scares the shit out of me. So, I'm sure she's going to shove a tube down someone's throat in this story. <laughs> well, buckle in and get ready for <laughs> Will We Dream in Cryosleep. When you've run out of dirt to bury the bodies in, but still have enough fuel on hand to power a thousand cities for a thousand years, you come up with some pretty creative ways to dispose of POWs. Capital punishment and burial wrapped up in one neat and tidy package. No shovels, coffins, or thoughtful epitaphs required. Turns out, all you need is a starship, and a handful of retired mercenaries with nothing better to do, nowhere better to go, and no conscience to throw a wrench in the operation. Rob tugged at his jumpsuit's starchy collar, fiddling through his cards for a half-decent play. The room was cold, the air colder. The table was hard, the chair harder. The mess hall, empty and nearly silent, was still better than a cell. Good behavior gets you places, apparently, even when your head's on the block. Eventually, he settled on a pair of twos. The guy sat opposite him, best friend and brother-in-arms, didn't react in the slightest. Max had lost himself in the cosmos beyond the porthole, each star a speck, the ghost of a memory in some distant galaxy with no name. When he returned, brought back to the mortal coil by a snap of Rob's fingers, slipped a six on the pile and asked, Why do you think they cart us so far out here? Rob shrugged. Maybe so we don't float back and turn in the meteors. Or a Saturn ring of corpses. You'd make a hell of an obstacle course for the satellites. Poof! There goes your precious cell service. Come on, buddy. It's your turn. But why here? Max insisted, putting down his cards. In the middle of nowhere. I don't know, dude, Rob sighed. They probably can't stand the idea of looking up at the sky, wondering which lights are stars and which are dead bodies. You know what I wonder? Why they keep us alive just to space us. Is it cheaper to keep us breathing on ice than, I don't know, containing disease and shit when we decompose on board? Or do the boys in black just get stiffies from Sparta kicking us out into the nether? It was only after he snatched Max's discarded cards and played a killer hand for him that Rob noticed the quivering lip, the knotted jaw. No tears fell, but the water in Max's eyes reflected the universe back at itself. Hey, Rob muttered, listen. Step up to the line. I don't want to die. The thud of baton on skin echoed from the hall. Max flinched, breath hitching. He ground his teeth until he squeaked. Hey, 
Rob grabbed Max's war calloused hand. Did you dream in cryosleep? What? Uh, no. Did you? I wish. It felt like two seconds. Max whispered. And then it felt like forever. Is that what this is gonna be? I don't... Two boys in black marched into the cafeteria. They were seized by the wrists and dragged into the cargo bay. Max froze up, went full dead fish, earning a stiff rifle butt to the back that made Rob's stomach curdle. Look at me! Max, listen to me! Don't. Don't hold your breath, okay? Close your eyes. Imagine you're back in that cryopod where it's cold. Calm and quiet. You're just going to sleep, right? Rob's voice cracked, shattering his false courage. You're just going to sleep. I'm scared, man. I know. Do you think I'll dream this time? Of course you will, buddy. Rob assured. It'll be beautiful. You, you know, it'll feel real. Off you go, 307. It took two guards to restrain him and only one light shove to get Max in the airlock. The glass door gasped shut. The intercom crackled. It'll be real, Rob promised. We'll finish our game there, yeah? Tears came for both of them this time, conquering without mercy. Shakily, Max said, See you there. And weakly, Rob said, Yeah. Before he could say goodbye, and just as Max's eyes fluttered shut, the void sucked him into its black, black arms. Rob watched his body drift through the starred vacuum. Would have watched forever if that metal hatch didn't close. But it did. The red warning light flashed until it went green. The klaxon shrieked until it didn't anymore. Ghastly hiss and a heavy thunk. You're up, 308. Cold. Step up to the line. Calm. Through the doors. Quiet. Rob took a deep breath, closed his eyes, and said to no one but himself, the walls and the sweeping reaches of space waiting to welcome him home. See you in cryo, buddy. I'm not crying, you're crying. <laughs> I'm not crying. It's dust. Uh, it's space dust it's in my eyes from all the cryos uh, particles. Yes. That wasn't scary at all. It was sad. <laughs> it's not supposed to be scary. Rihanna, son of a bitch. <laughs> not cool, man. That was so sad. I know. it. There was never any hope. Only dread. And then <sighs> sadness. Which I respect. I like the uh, the allusion to uh, Isaac Asimov. The uh, will we do do um, robots dream of electric sleep or electric sheep? Oh my gosh! I didn't even put that together. Yep. Brianna, even your title is amazing. Yeah, everything that she does is amazing, especially <sighs> making me cry. <laughs> About so sad. prisoners in space. Um, the concept is fantastic. Uh, it's insane how great everything about that story was. The execution was fantastic. Pun totally intended. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's <laughs> such a bummer story, man. It's so <laughs> sad. I can't get over it. That's why I had to put it like kind of here in the in. Toward the end, yeah. but not at the end, because you know I, 
originally was thinking about ending on this one. Yeah, and I was fucking, like, no, we're going to be so depressed. Yeah, fucking Brianna going on stage, re- getting everybody all sad. She's in her, her black turtleneck, reading her poetry with a single spotlight, and every, n- not a single dry eye in the audience. And then you got me coming on stage, the clown. She's <laughs> like, ha, ha, ha. Hey, everybody. Ready to laugh? Everyone's like, no. I'm not. <laughs> Just let us be alone with our feelings. I need to go in the corner, <laughs> curl up, and cry it out. Dude, Brianna, so good. And then Jarrett. So good. So good. It's like him and his wife are voice actors or something. Or girlfriend. Mind blown. I, I don't know. Teamwork makes the dream yeah. work. They're partners. Him and Jess? Yeah. I did not even know that. Last I just I chose checked. those two randomly out of the Fables cast, really? I think. <laughs> or no, I think Allie might have suggested. I was like, hey, who is like most available? And she said Jess and Jarrett. And I'm like, cool. I'm trying to be respectful. I don't know. And nowadays it can get you in trouble. So they're, uh, yeah, oh. they're a dynamic duo. That's what they are. Wow. They're a power couple. Pa- that's what I should have said earlier. That's you, what I strive Yeah. To well, be. I was going to say you and Talon are a power couple, but now it's Jess and Jarrett. <sighs> Second place is good enough. Second place power couple. <laughs> why don't you two, why don't the four of you go write a story together? <laughs> and narrate it. That'd be dope, actually. A four part? You guys are just going to keep making it more and more intricate? <laughs> You're the one making it more and more intricate. <laughs> of course I am. Who am I? <laughs> so yeah, great job, uh, Jarrett. And uh, up next, we have Allie Fitzgerald back. So I did not put your story after Brianna's because I have a little bit of tact and didn't want to go straight from... You didn't want the funny clown guy to go after scary poetry lady. Yeah, we've yeah. all just had our emotional catharsis. So um, we're, you know, toning it down a little bit, but with um, a very exciting story from Allie. Um, and Allie 100% broke the rules of the Flash no Fiction Contest. No yep. way. Allie went above and beyond. She went above and beyond. Uh, so as I said earlier, our word count limit was 700. Mm-hmm. And her story, The Legacy of Ryder, clocks in closer to 2,000. Oh, man. So this is a little bit longer. Did she produce this one? She she did the um, narration for it. Okay. And then I just added You've done some, the production for all of these, right? Yes, except for the ones that you and Cam did. Right. Yes. But so yeah, which is obvious because yours are so much better than ours. That's not true. You guys add like way more special well, effects did on a, yours. Cameron chilled. You did a good job, but Hannah's been like, <laughs> these have been nailing it. Like I you like knocked it out of the park with these. I don't know enough about production to do all the like robotic voice stuff that you guys can do and all. No, of that. all you do is find perfect music, setting, atmosphere, and throwing in sound effects. <laughs> Cameron just announced that he made the song for his, so I'm going to go cry in embarrassment right now. Uh, all right. He did one song for one story that he did. You did 10 stories. Brothers should not be allowed to evaluate <laughs> other people, each other's works. That's not fair. Anyway, the point is, well done. Good job. Thank you. I appreciate that. I just um, want to give some credit. But Jeez Louise, I didn't realize I was going to have to fight everyone in the room to do it. <laughs> Anyway, since Allie was narrating her own, and because I'm the producer and I, I liked her story, I was like, just do it. Yeah. So she just Allie did it. Allie always goes above and beyond. She did she it with does. the Halloween episode. She's doing it with this one. She's fantastic. <laughs> well, I can already predict uh, what you're going to say at the end of this story, but uh, let's hit it with the legacy of Ryder. Taylor, 22 years old, with a short brunette bob, sits in her art history class, and this is the moment she is 
always dreading. She starts to feel queasy, lightheaded. Everything slowly turns into a blur and she thinks, oh God, not now. And then poof, she vanishes from class, taking nothing with her but the clothes on her body. Taylor is a traveler, you see. She discovered this when she was four years old. She would wake up in the middle of the night at a nearby park and would attempt to wander home. But before she could reach home, she would be back in her bed. She couldn't understand what was going on, so she kept chalking it up to sleepwalking. However, one day it happened while she was awake. At six years old and brushing her teeth, she started to feel queasy and then poof, her toothbrush fell in the sink and she found herself in her grandfather's office. As she looked around, she saw photos of herself, but she had to have been 16 years old in them. What is going on? Taylor thought. She started to get scared and then heard the door open. She turned around and saw her grandfather, Archie Ryder. He was much older, wearing a plaid robe with coffee in his hand. Archie looked shocked and then a smile crept on his face. Taylor, how old are you? Taylor, confused and terrified, whispered with a squeak, six years old? My, my. Well, you're going to leave soon. When you get home, tell your mother to bring you back to my house and we will talk, all right? He patted her head and then sat down at his desk. Taylor started to feel it again. Grandpa? Just breathe, dear. You'll get used to it soon. And then poof, she was gone. Taylor went and spoke to her grandfather and he taught her everything he knew. The most basic rules to follow were don't let anyone see you and the universe is trying to tell you something when you travel and it's your job to find out what that is. Now, where were we? Ah, yes, poof. Taylor lands in a dark, murky room. The room has one light bulb in the middle of the ceiling that keeps flickering. The room is a square with three walls covered in bookshelves with all types of books you can imagine. However, it's very dusty. Does anyone live here? She says to herself. In the middle of the room sits a chair with a small coffee table next to it. Upon it lies a book upside down as if to hold the reader's spot. So maybe this is someone's room, Taylor thought. However, there's just one door with the smallest window. Taylor walks over to the door, places her ear against it, hears nothing, and then stands on her tippy toes to look out the window. It's hard to see out the window as if whoever made it wanted it to be one way. So Taylor decides to walk over to the bookshelf to see if it will provide any clues. Taylor caresses the spine of much ado about nothing. She also sees Leo Tolstoy, books on philosophy by Aristotle, and a collection on the history of the Roman Empire. And then, out of the corner of her eye, she sees the name Ryder. That's her last name. As Taylor reaches for the book, she hears the door open behind her, and then the queasing feeling comes. Oh no, not now. Poof, she vanishes. Taylor lands back in her seat, but the class is empty. She looks up the clock. It's been over for 20 minutes. Her professor looks bewildered. Taylor reaches for the same lie she uses every time this happens. <gasps> oh, wow. I fall asleep again? So sorry, professor. I was up all night and runs out of class before he can question her. For the next week, Taylor keeps traveling to this mysterious room. She only stays for about 10 minutes until one night while she's in bed reading the book, The Bicentennial Man and Other Stories. She drops her book, leans over the side of the bed feeling more queasy than normal and poof. Taylor, in her PJs, lands outside of a door. Lights on the ceiling are flickering, and she sees a bunch of other doors. On the wall are posters that say, Keep your synthetic on a leash. You are in charge, not them. A school ball starts to go off, and doors fling open ahead. Unsure of what to do, Taylor opens the door she appeared in front of. She runs inside and pulls the door shut behind her. 
When she turns, she realizes she's in the same room she has been traveling to for months. As she walks around, she notices the dust has disappeared. There is now a small bed up against the empty wall. Taylor thinks, how much time has passed since my other visits? She sees a calendar on the wall and it says 2030. So seven years in the future? Then the door starts to open. And so Taylor quickly runs and hides under the bed. Bang, the door slams shut. Under the bed, she sees two brown shoes facing her. The shoes start walking towards her, but then turn and sit down on the chair. Taylor covers her mouth as her breathing quickens. <sighs> oh God, where am I? I wanna leave now squeezing her eyes shut, hoping she can door through her way back home. After what feels like an hour, she is still there. Suddenly, the brown shoes get up and walk towards the bed. He pulls the covers back and lays on top. Ow! Taylor rips her body out from under the bed. That is the worst mattress ever. It literally sinks into the floor, except this time it sinks into Taylor. The brown shoes jump off the bed immediately. Standing in front of Taylor is a man, about six feet, much taller than her. He's wearing brown slacks, a sky blue button down shirt with a blue and black plaid corduroy vest. Hello, he says. I am Keith. Um, this is a bit bizarre. I am not allowed visitors. Taylor gulps and says, hi. I'm Taylor. Uh, this might sound crazy, but I'm a traveler. Like I travel and I'm really not supposed to tell anyone, but I don't know what else to do here. Taylor rattles off really fast without breathing. Well, I guess if we are identifying, I am a synthetic. I appear human, but I am not, Keith responds. Taylor and Keith sit for what feels like hours talking about traveling and him being a synthetic. Taylor learns he is in a factory called Bain's Alchemy and every model has a serial number. Keith shows Taylor his located on the side of his neck. VA-225. The lights in Keith's room start to turn off and on, and Keith tells Taylor it's bedtime, lights out, and that someone will be coming to do bed checks because apparently there have been a few breakouts. But I can't just leave on command. I've also never traveled for this long, Taylor explains to him. He looks at the door and they hear people walking around outside. It'll be very bad if they find you, he says exasperated. I know, I know, um, oh, wait. She leans over. Are you okay? It's happening, Keith. Taylor says, holding her stomach. But how will I see you again? Keith asks. Taylor looks up at him with fear in her eyes and poof. She is back home on her bed and stares at her book and then a smell creeps on her face as she grabs her book and hugs it. The following week, Taylor begins to travel every night to Keith for about an hour. On her fourth visit, he begins to tell her about the breakouts. Apparently, the government has released about 50 synthetics into society to see how they would acclimate. They were put into various jobs, military, doctors, and some professors. Keith is actually being trained to be a history and philosophy professor. The public was never supposed to know. However, they started to find out because of a book that was published in 2029, and there was a huge uproar about it. He explains he knows all this because some of the synthetics that were brought back. One of them even snuck in the book and gave it to him. Some people took to attacking the synthetics, but that was not a good idea. They attacked back, of course, and were immediately locked up for good. Many of them were upset about this, of course, but it caused another breakout. He actually had a few of his friends tell him they were going to break out this very evening. Suddenly, emergency alarms start to go off and the words blaring, No one move. You're locked in. We will find you. Taylor and Keith stare at each other. What do we do, Keith? Keith walks over to Taylor and stares into her eyes. Take me with you. 
Taylor Gapes. You know I can't take anyone with me, especially from the future and back to the past, my present. Keith walks over to the bookshelf, pulls out a book, and hands it to Taylor. This book was written by your grandfather, Archie. He is my creator. He is the reason the public found out about us. He published a book on the truth of us and predicts we will take over just due to our more logical nature. Her hands tremble as she grabs it. Did your grandfather not say it was up to you to decipher what the universe is telling you? What if it is telling you this? Keith touches her hand. I've never really connected with anyone before until I met you, and I'm not much of a believer in spiritual things. I love you, Taylor, and I do not want to lose you. Right then, the voices outside are getting closer. Flashlights are shining into the small window. Taylor drops the book, lunges over and shouts, Oh, Keith, my hand. This is when Taylor realizes she only travels as the universe is telling her something. This must have been a sign. They were meant to meet. Keith is staring at the door as it starts to be unlocked. Keith, now! He turns and grabs her hand. Poof. Taylor and Keith land in her grandfather's office. Archie walks in and holds a book in his hand. I created Bane's Alchemy by Archie Ryder. Archie stares at them and then looks at his book. You two got here just in time. It'll be in stores tomorrow. We still have enough time to get you out of here. So now you might be wondering who I am. I am Archie II. My mother is Taylor and my father is Keith. I am the first half synthetic traveler and I'm here to teach you about traveling. This is a very important job and not everyone gets to do it. Welcome to Ryder Hall Academy for Travelers. Uh, yeah, you know what I'm going to say. Where's the rest of the Where's story? Where's the rest of the book, Allie? I feel like this is perfectly set up to be like a YA, uh, like, sci-fi trilogy. Yeah. Just, you know, brainstorming out loud here. Just throwing this out there of, you know, a good YA story that's not going to have some bullshit romance triangle. No. Ty Tyler hates uh, love triangles, as we all know. They're cliche, overdone. Don't do it, Allie, when you write the writer's <laughs> school for traveling. I'm very excited about this. It was so well done. You wrote, uh, I've said this about everything. You so well done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for the story where you're like, how did the yeah, shit make right. it on my podcast? Yeah, it was all right, I guess. You let them do this? The nice thing is that I haven't had to, like, we've never gotten a story submitted that I'm just like, I don't want to put this on yeah. there. Like, yeah. everything I'm just like, holy crap, this it's is the so best good. thing ever. Yeah. Um, she set up the rules and uh, she allowed herself to play with the rules in in the last part. She set them up pretty well in the beginning. Um, so I liked that, especially when it comes to time travel. Like that's so complex and you have so many nerds who are like, oh, that's not how time travel works. Uh, <laughs> yes and no. Uh, you know how time travel works? It doesn't, it doesn't so work, shut up. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the same thing as shooting lightning out of your hands. Can we put those two things on par with each other, please? Uh, anyway, the she I thought she did a really good job of setting up the rules and then playing with them. Um, that I, I mean, I knew that there was going to be a love interest just because I know story well enough to know, like, oh, it's a guy and a girl, so of course they're going to be together. But it, it kind of jumped out of nowhere. I, I think if she had 5,000 words to play with, we could have seen a little bit more progression with it. <laughs> Um, she did a good job of doing what she could with 2,000 words. Yeah, imagine if she tried to do that in five to 700 words. I think you kind of have to fall in love if you're forced to be with each other one hour every single day. <laughs> like, 
interesting social experiment. Yeah, you you have zero choice. You have to be around each other for one hour every night. I think you, I think everybody would fall in love with the other person. <laughs> this is a new reality TV show in the making. Yeah, the writers travel tra- writers school for travelers. The writer bachelorette. <laughs> the the reality show, <laughs> and I'll be the host. Perfect. <laughs> One more job for Tyler. Yeah, because I need something else in my life. Allie, well done. For real. Yep. Uh, I think her writing is getting better and better. Every time I read something from her, it gets better and better. Um, so I'm I'm really excited to see what she does next time. I'm really excited to see if she does if she continues the story. I think that there's a lot to it that she could really turn into just a fabulous story. And I think she's got she's got the chips. <laughs> and the performance chops too. She can totally do her own audiobook one day. Obviously. <laughs> she's a fantastic actress. She's proven that time and time again. Uh, if you like the sound of her voice, you should go listen to our other projects. You should go back and listen to our Halloween episode where yeah, she did personally, an audio drama. That's my favorite. Uh, because it was so fucking creepy and yeah. she just like killed it with the production. And like she did it, I will always love that story. Like not to say don't go listen to our podcast, you should, but go specifically and watch her YouTube video where she took it and turned it into a video and had like um, animation done on top of it. Uh, so yeah, she really fantastic. utilized her quarantine time very well this past year. <laughs> yes, yes she did. Um, so next up is our penultimate story from return contributor Curtis Dieter, uh, who has the advantage of already being a sci-fi author. Um, and this spring has also been really uh, fruitful for a lot of our contribu- contributors, apparently, um, because he also just released a book. Uh, Steve Kane released one. Yeah. Brianna Fenty's about to release one. Yeah. Uh, Curtis Dieter's is Catching Lightning, 28 fantasy and science fiction short stories. That just came out last month. Uh, you can read it on Kindle, and we'll have a link to his website in the show notes. Uh, but yeah, so. He also has another book coming out, uh, and I don't remember the name of it, but I pre-ordered it, so. Oh, my gosh. It's, the dude is uh, fantastic. He's a great author. If Curtis and, and Steve could just slow their roll a little bit, that would be great. Thanks. <laughs> Curtis and Steve, when we do the partner episode, <laughs> they're going to get together and I'm going to just pass out from amazement. We're assigning everyone partners now. You yeah. have no say you in the matter. You have no say. It's you, it's Steven and Curtis for the win. Well, <laughs> now we don't have a chance, Tyler. Damn it. Yeah, you might not. But when uh, Jess Ayers and and Jarrett, I mean, they're going to, they're power couple, so they might. It's Steve, gonna be a con- Steve and it- Curtis are our new favorite power couple. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to hear this story. Let's let's jump in. Yeah, so this is We're Pleased to Please You, read by Mason Mosteller. My first experience in one of Euphoria's staycation pods didn't quite go according to the promotional materials. In fact, it was absolutely nightmarish. Pure euphoria, they said. An unparalleled experience tailored exclusively to your innermost desires. Yeah, okay. Like everyone else, I was a sucker caught in a moment of vulnerability swayed by an aggressive marketing campaign. We're pleased to please you. My joy facilitator ushered me to a sleek white dome that looked suspiciously like a coffin, put on her best smile, and waved as the pod sealed shut around me. The pod was comfortable ergonomically conforming to the curves of my awkward body, and a gentle breeze tickled my cheeks, enough to keep me from losing my cool in such a confined space. 
They even spritzed apple cinnamon air freshener. I never told them it reminded me of my Mimi. Just like my joy facilitator had promised, my experience started perfectly. It was me, the open road, and the vibrations of a Pan American between my thighs. The same model my grandpa used to take me out on during those long, hot summers. There was warm sun on my back and golden fields where bison grazed as far as the eye could see. Johnny Cash blared, singing the sky bosses waiting at the big ranch house door, and I found myself humming along. Could they hear me outside the pod? I didn't really care. Watching the blacktop and broken yellow lines pass beneath my feet, I fell into a blissful lull. My cheeks slackened and my lips curled into an involuntary smile. I sighed and let the road take over. I'm not sure how much time passed, but the road suddenly disappeared. The sky dimmed and the sun went black. There was a screech, not like tires skidding, but like crosswire feedback through amplified speakers. The man in black screaming in ones and zeros. I was riding through an ocean of stars. Then, the Pan Am lurched and my organs all dropped into my stomach. Down, 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 I tipped into the burning maw of a ravine, towards a painful and abrupt death. The bison were falling too. They bellowed and bleated as they went splat, splat, splat. I was falling, falling, falling. The nadir began to come into focus, jagged rocks and rushing water. The closer I got, the further away the bottom seemed until I realized I might never hit. I might just fall forever. A blast of non-artificial air struck me like a boxer's glove, taking my breath out of my chest, and I snapped back to reality. Soaked in sweat, I could feel hot blood coursing through my veins. I banged and banged on the inner shell of the staycation pod and screamed until my throat throbbed. The staycation pod hissed open and a frantic joy facilitator ushered me to my feet. She handed me a glass of something vaguely lauder-like and helped me to cushy chair along the far wall. She was asking me questions, but her words were distant and incomprehensible. Sir? Sir! She produced a long needle and injected me with something. I was too weak to stop her. Sir, can you hear my voice? I opened my mouth to speak, but vomit came out instead of words. We're so terribly sorry, she continued, for today's less than satisfactory experience. You four ink will, of course, refund your payment and provide four hours worth credits to your account for a future. I stood and shouldered past her. I wasn't buying what she had to offer. Everything swayed and ebbed as I staggered my way out of the substation. I don't think I'd ever been so desperate to be someplace else in my entire life. I didn't want my money back. I wanted to get as far away from the Joy Facilitator and her horrible pod as possible. Now, they tell me, it was hackers. They say they've implemented additional firewalls to avoid any further system breaches. They beg me to give them another shot at making my dreams come true. I say no way and beg you to heed this warning. No matter how U4 Inc. presents itself, it's still just another evil corporation. Remember the time when you used to make your own pleasure and avoid their staycation pots at all cost. Did we just hear a yelp from the future? <laughs> <laughs> Was that just a yelp review? A really detailed one. Oh I mean, my gosh. So, have you read some Yelp reviews? They get pretty crazy. <laughs> and that was on par with like 2031's Yelp reviews. <laughs> I know. That's awesome because it's kind of, it's the kind of technology that I can see existing semi soon. Yeah. Um, and then it's, it draws the obvious conclusion, which is like, yo, our current technology gets hacked or like has glitches sometimes. So what happens when 
when, when we we make something that like yeah. virtual reality to the max puts us in this situation. There's already stuff like this at like Bullwinkles or Chuck E. Cheese <laughs> or where you know like the the fun zone wherever you go, and they got the, the machines that you get in and they like move around and shit. And uh, and so it's like yeah, that technology is not far off. Um, I like that this story wasn't it wasn't like huge twist you know like ah and it didn't make me cry but um <laughs> thanks for just, not making us cry yeah curtis. thanks curtis it was just like it was just like here's a story that happened this happened it's a thing that happened and it sound it genuinely sounds like a review <laughs> uh like curtis's next anthology just needs to be yelp reviews from the future that would be a great and anthology it's all shit title like this. yeah curtis hit me up <laughs> He'll do your cover art. We'll write this together. I'll do, I can do cover art for you. We'll read the whole book on our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And have Mason do it because again, he did an amazing job. Mason is so good. (laughs) I like how you like kind of put a subtle accent on there too. Yeah. Uh, I really, I appreciated that. He's a D and D player. He's good at accents. He's good at accents. He's a DM specifically. So yeah. Like Jarrett does the same thing. Like they're, we need to just go find all the DMs on the internet and have them start reading for us. That's a great idea. If you're a DM for Dungeons & Dragons podcast or stream or something, hit us up. We'll put you on our library of people to read our stories. Because <laughs> you're just naturally gifted at it. It's not a joke. I'm not joking. No. Uh, speaking of <laughs> DMs who are gifted at reading. Jared's back? No, it's you, silly. Oh. No. Last but certainly not least, uh, we've got your story, which I feel weird introing. Uh, but Do you I, want me to intro? Yeah, it? I mean, I'm excited for the world to hear it. You, you say the rest. I generally like to write uh, comedy when it's shorter stuff because it's almost like a punchline to me, or it's like a, you know, it's like a joke almost. It's not so much like I'm gonna tell a whole story. I'm gonna tell a funny thing. So I've noticed that I do this. I did it with our first Halloween. I did it with our second one. Um, and, and I like doing it because I feel like it's really easy to take yourself a little too seriously when you do some of these anthologies and things like that. And uh, and so I just want to liven things up. Plus, I think I have a pretty good voice for it. So I wrote this um, and I, it was like literally I didn't know what I was going to do it as a Yelp review almost. And then I like turned into a story. So here we go. Kirby Dyson and the Vacuum of Space! I'm telling you, it's more than a vacuum, Kirby said as her patience was wearing thin from the circular conversation. Katie, come on, Russ said, annoyed by the ludicrous nature of the conversation. What you're saying is that your vacuum is a black hole or something that leads to the blackness and void of space. Exactly, Kirby touched her nose. It's literally a space vacuum. No, Russ refuses. No, now look, I might still be a freshman and you're a junior, but I'm in AP physics and there's no way in heck hole that your vacuum is a wormhole. Before Russ can finish, Kirby has thrown a tennis ball tied to string into the underside of the cleaning device. Its old metallic lip vibrated as the ball is consumed in brushes of the rotating black void. Beyond belief, the ball smashes into the void and has disappeared. Holy 
balls, Russ said as the fuzzy sphere left the world. Kirby then pulled the ball and it popped out of the black ichor, frozen and having burst from being inside the vastness of space. Oh, what? How? Where? What? How? Where? What? You're in a time loop. Come out of it, Russ. Kirby said as she handed him the ball. I accidentally vacuumed my cat, Alice, and I had to pull her out by her tail. That's when I figured out that the vacuum was weird. I mean, my dust devil never threatened my cat like that. Russ looked over and saw the tabby sitting with its front paw missing. Did it lose its paw in space? No, we adopted it like that. What about the weird corkscrew eyeball thing? Is that normal? It stared at them, its eye like a lizard, as its squished face looked at them with a bead of drool falling to the ground. No. No, that's not normal at all. But what do you expect when you subject a cat to the vastness of the vacuum of space? Untold eons, lying, waiting, beyond the understanding, right on the other side of my carpet cleaner. Of course it's going to get a little messed up. So, what are you going to do with this? Russ asks. Sell it to SpaceX? Kirby quickly left the room and then came back with a massive suitcase. She dropped it in front of Russ. This. What? Go on a ski trip to the Alps? Kirby zipped the case open and revealed a white suit and a massive helmet, the front of which had Russian lettering. My granddad. He was a cosmonaut. This was his spacesuit, Kirby said with too much excitement. And, Russ said expectantly, and I'm going to go in. No, no way in H-E double hockey sticks are you going in. If you get lost in space and time, I'll be in so much trouble. Russ turned away from the suitcase and grabbed a Capri Sun to calm down. After sucking it dry, he turned back to Kirby. She was already in the suit. Three sizes too big, but it was on. How? I used to play in this thing all the time. Granddad taught me how to get into it. Now, take the rope and attach it to the backside of my carabiner. Before you argue, please, I'm doing this with or without you, but I trust you, Russ. I would feel so much better if I knew that you had my back. Please. Her big brown eyes fluttered, as did Russ's heart, and he snapped the carabiner to the rope. She smiled, kissed him on the cheek, and then closed the helmet over her head. It's time for me to enter the vacuum of space! Kirby jumped into the small portal. Whooshings of bristles changed to the sound of a sucked up Lego and Russ watched as the girl he loved folded within time and space, moving out of Earth's atmosphere. Kirby found herself within the darkness of outer space, tethered to nothing but a strand of string. She squinted hard for sunlight, starlight, anything. As her eyes adjusted, she could just make out a small blinking light, but then realized it was moving. Then a second light, moving in sync with the first. And at that moment, she knew that in the vastness of space, something waited for her to arrive. So you're just going to leave me and everyone else <laughs> hanging out there in space, tethered by a shoestring, <clears throat> waiting to find out what Kirby saw. Yeah. 
you are a sick son of a bitch. <laughs> had you, be honest, had you listened to it before today? No, I'd read the previous one, um, oh, okay. but then you said you made some changes. So I was like, I, I listened to enough to see that you'd mixed it all yeah. and like check to make sure it was all there. And then I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be surprised by this. I am surprised and delighted. What'd you think of it for reals? I like it a lot. Um, I mean, I like, you do comedy well. Um, at some point we're going to have an episode where I'm like, Tyler, you can't fucking do comedy. You have to do a serious story. Um, I mean, from the title even, like fucking Kirby Dyson. Dyson, Tyler. <laughs> Kirby. Kirby's also a vacuum. She, oh, I didn't know that Kirby yeah, was. Yeah, Kirby's a vacuum She's cleaner gonna and Dyson's a vacuum team cleaner. up with Nick Ford and take on the triumvirate. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I like the um, dramatic ending too, because yeah. it's like, it's a, a fun, like kind of flirtatious teenagers, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. time. Uh, and then it gets very serious at the end. And she's like a super cool uh, go get them heroine. Yeah. Getting her grandpa's space suit and like, yeah. I'm just going to go into this vacuum. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I love the character of Kirby. Russ is... Uh, way deeper of a character than he is portrayed in this story because like like, Talon I have major backstories (laughs) for all this I see this being a graphic novel or something I think the illustration I I can appreciate that because it's it's I don't want to give too much away because I might I might be turning a lot of this stuff into a real thing you made story art for it like you Uh, sent me I I found a picture online and I threw it together I didn't make story art I just I threw it together (laughs) it's just a quick thing to throw together (laughs) kind of like this whole story (laughs) and the background music I did throw the story together it's it is fun and interesting where once I'm uh, and I don't know if it's this way with everybody else, but once it takes me a long time to get to it. Once I sit down and I really like the idea, it's done in like half an hour. Yeah. I think that's kind of how mine went. Yeah. Um, and it did. Did you Halloween write yours too. before Talon? No, I was waiting for him and I was like, come on, I need the story. Like finish your part. Cause I, I needed to make sure it like matched up kind of, cause we yeah. like kind of talked about general storyline, but I needed to see how he executed it or sure. else mine would like not Literally. fit literally yeah and he ended up doing something different so when i got it i was like oh fuck i had like mine kind of pre-planned in my head and i'm like i have to adapt yeah you did great it was fun all these stories are wonderful i'm glad i can add a little bit of humor at the end curtis's was kind of funny yeah a little bit is yeah i I, yeah yes i thought it was funny i'm not gonna say it wasn't funny (laughs) Mine was obviously like humor specific, so uh, simulating reality sent you into an existential downward spiral. But I thought that had some humorous notes to it, sure. and uh, Steve Kane's uh, Keystone had funny. Keystone robots. had some good spots in it. I really yeah. liked it. Cameron sold the humor on it pretty well. Paul's uh, felt like it was going to be funny until I realized that the dude's friend like got eaten by yeah, a door. Yeah, fucking consumed. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is this is a good time. And then it's like, oh, he's never coming We're back. We're all just having a good time touching ethereal transdimensional portals. Yeah. So if you take one thing away from this podcast, it's never touch an ethereal transdimensional portal. That's it. That's it. And that's, the, that's how I would, that's the Yelp review for that portal. <laughs> Don't touch it. <laughs> this portal consumed my friend. Three One stars. Star. <laughs> Three stars. It's still a portal. It still does its job. <laughs> Did a good job at being awful. <laughs> so let's take stock. We've got uh we've got a um we've got a a um fuck. A Yelp review for um a pod. A pod. Pleasure pod. <laughs> <Gross>. <laughs> um 
and then we can do a, we can do a review if we want to of my of my vacuum of space. Oh, right? I'd give that five stars. We've got a review of um, our our transdimensional portal mirror portal. Um, Would not recommend. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, this was this was a fantastic collection of stories. You know, if I'm allowed to throw myself in that ring as well. We'll, uh, we'll let you in our club. Thank you. 11 great it. stories. I laughed. I cried. I screamed, literally <laughs> <laughs> laughed and cried and screamed. And, uh, it was a good time. This was fun. See, this is why we do it. We love listening to the stories and recording them. It makes up for all of the weeks of stress, collecting mm. the stories, making sure I meet deadlines, which I did not meet. Yeah. Um, and then you know, putting it all together. Yeah. And, and you guys seriously, thank you so much for helping us out and submitting stories. Um, this isn't going to be the last time we do this. Uh, I know I, I'm no, still Halloween's looking, coming yeah, back, I'm right? I'm looking forward to I hope it's coming back. <laughs> Halloween's the, not yeah. canceled. <laughs> uh, I will absolutely be pushing for Halloween stories. So start writing them now. What and, I'm really excited about is like doing this episode really reinforce that we have a good stable of writers who like are regular contributors and yeah. we can be like yo are you gonna contribute something again like the first time we did it we were kind of just putting we it out there sure, in the yeah. universe and get your f- writer friends to to join in too like you know we can we want more if we can end up doing like two parts that'd yeah. be that'd be dope right because that it'd be it's so much fun to me to just listen to stories mm-hmm. and and listen to the talent that is out there because you guys you're so talented and you need to you need to take advantage of showing that off because you've been cooped up in your room and going oh this is a great book i can't wait for someone to read it and then hoping that one day someone's going to publish it and someday someone's going to read it like yeah that'll get you only so far i i know i've done it but being able to just write something and put it out there and get the attention and, and get the accolades of like, yeah, I wrote this and someone amazing read it. And Tyler yelled at me to turn it into a full short story or a full length novel or a three part series. The, Allie. I w- <laughs> <laughs> Allie, we expect the uh, the manuscript for the first book on our desk by Monday. Uh, and don't, the, don't joke. She'll do it. The proposal for the entire series by the end of the week. And so. casting suggestions for the TV movie. Well, of course. We got to get her an agent so that we can sell the rights to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> We've suddenly become a TV production company, too. Yeah. It's going to be great. Man, we're going on two hours. I know. Okay. This episode is so long. We got to wrap this up. Uh, thank you so much to all of our contributors and our fabulous narrators. I promise stickers for all of you, and we'll try to send those out within the next couple of weeks. Um, if you didn't include a mailing address when you like emailed your submission, uh, follow up so I can get you those stickers if you want them. Um, and yeah, for everyone listening, um, if you liked what you heard and you want to see more of these people's work, um, we're going to have tags uh or handles and um websites for everyone who we know their information for in the show notes um so yeah definitely go check them out and show them some love absolutely uh thanks for giving me this experience of some awesome sci-fi guys it was so good it was so good so good the the fact that you and talon fucking (laughs) threw it together like that is still mind-boggling that's some fucking iron man walking in to talk to the the Hulk guy at the end of the Hulk, and they're like, fucking, oh, these movies are a part of the same universe, finally. 
<laughs> so good. Well, we'll be back in however many months for Halloween. Five. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the meantime, uh, oh, we're Asimov. actually doing an actual yeah, outro. We're gonna we're gonna come back with Asimov Part Two at some point. Uh, Tyler already did the teaser for that one. Uh, so Tyler, tell us where the the people can find us. I don't need my phone for this. I can just say things now. I've done this long enough. Right? I can just say things now, Tyler Clausen. Uh, you can. <laughs> I can just say things now, Tyler Clausen. It's my new T-shirt. Um, I you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash Lewis and Lovecraft. You can find us on Instagram at Lewis and Lovecraft. We try to post. Uh, just about every day. We fail at that miserably, but we still try. And you, that's where you're going to be able to find a lot of the stuff that we're promoting for our show. Uh, new episodes, past episodes, authors that we know, people that are uh, guesting on the show. So go check out our Instagram. Go to our website if you want to see a bunch of other stuff, like the library of past episodes, pictures of us, things like that. You can email us at lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com. If you have a flash fiction story and you didn't submit it for this episode, please submit it to us and we will read it on our show. We want to read your stories. Please send us your stories. And then send us the full-length novel explaining all of the backstory so Tyler doesn't have to yell at you at the end. I'm going to yell at you at the end, so just be prepared for it. (laughs) Um, As always, we want to thank Jake Basson for our awesome intro music. If uh, you want to hear more of his stuff, you can find him at soundcloud.com slash Jake Basson. B-A-S-S-E-N. Yep. Basson. Like the fish. Yeah. (laughs) And in, like not... I end. Oh, now you've just confused them. <laughs> moving on. Uh, moving on. Um, if you you should subscribe to our show. I'm doing this all from memory, so you You're should subscribe great. to our show because uh, we do shit like this. We do our deep dives. We do con- uh, correspondence shows where we talk to people from around the world and make them pretend to be our friends, like I did with Ink to Film uh, last that was week. So, I was so excited. It's a good. It's a good episode. Them. Those guys are so awesome, and they had me on their show. It was just fantastic. Uh, and then uh, we do we do stuff like this. We do show flash fiction shows and stuff like that. So if you subscribe, you will be up to date with our latest stuff. And rate and review us on any platform you can, especially Apple Podcasts. And also, I think you can rate and review us on Podchaser, too. That is correct. And that's, like, the new place to be. I mean, it's a good place to be because on pod, on Spotify, you can't rate and review. Yeah, so lame. So Podchaser kind of makes up for that because you don't have to have an Apple device to go on and see if a podcast is good. As a Samsung user, I appreciate that yeah please go rate and review us on Podchaser. we have zero we do have some comments on some episodes though which is super cool okay great the thank you we need reviews and okay. and ratings i we, tried to be nice people we need those yelp reviews <laughs> from the future to go on to our that's our, our next uh, special is we make people write reviews for us but flash creatively fiction, <laughs> flash fiction reviews yeah i wasn't joking earlier it's great uh yeah so go on to podchaser.com log in sign up whatever it is and and just leave us a review that's it's gonna he- help us out so much but hannah what helps us the most Telling your friends about the awesome sci-fi special you just listened to and sending them a link to it. You're fracking right it is. Fracking. Is that I the like right? that. That's, that's from uh, Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Bears beats, beats Battlestar, Battlestar Galactica. Galactica. 
yeah, go tell a friend. And also support us on Patreon. We have a Patreon. You can go there and give us like $2 or $50 if you want. We have a variety, variety, what variety. variety of different ways that we can ignore you on Patreon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was beautiful. Yeah. I, and to our two patrons right now, Devani Anjali and Gage Runkle. I thought you forgot your own friend's name. That was being dramatic. Um, thank you guys for supporting us and showing some love. We appreciate you. And we appreciate you appreciating us. Yeah. Even though you didn't submit a story. Oh, I know. Devani promised me one, too, like <gasps> months ago. Well, sounds like she needs to write in for extra credit. Yep. Due by Monday. <laughs> Peace. Peace out. Cool gang. <laughs>